I think it's been such a privilege to go through this week being a part of Give a Day, um, but also spending time and trying to, in between everything that we've been at work doing, just trying to step aside in the midst of that as well to prepare for this morning. And it's, you know, it really has been a privilege because it just, you know, I've just had time really to spend with Jesus. And, you know, where these guys have kind of led us this morning, it was just really beautiful and what Ruth shared um, it just all ties in with everything that kind of Father's put on our heart. We're starting a number of weeks now, um, kind of on the subject of Jesus as Lord and what that means for each of us. Um, but I wanted to start, we're going to look specifically at one passage um, in the Bible, one story. Um, there are so many that you could kind of choose from to speak on this subject. Um, but the one that, that um, the one that God's kind of... Uh, take me to is Matthew 16 is where we're going to predominantly kind of look at over this over today and maybe over a couple of weeks depending on how we get on today but I wanted to start this morning with a a story uh, which comes from the book of Mark which is in the New Testament and because I think just everything that's already been said this morning and what the father put on my heart was just to say you know that this space that this space that we're sitting in this morning, this place where we get to hear what's on the Father's heart, is is seen really clearly in this story that we would sort of sometimes know as the rich young ruler, um, a man who encounters Jesus. And the story goes that he, it talks about he runs, he hears that Jesus is in town, and he runs to see him. This guy is really excited to meet Jesus for himself. And he obviously has either heard a lot or he has seen him already. Um, He knows something about him because it says that he greets him with really deep reverence and great respect in his heart. So his heart is already inclined towards who Jesus is. But he asks him this question, what must I do? What do I need to do to step into eternal life? What is it going to take for me to be able to receive that. And Jesus sort of says to him, takes him back to what he would have already known because of how he grew up as a, as a Jewish young person. He would have grown up in a household learning, knowing and understanding what it was that God had always said about this is how um, I'm calling you to live. So Jesus just reminds him, he says, you know, the things that I've called you to, um, you know how to live. Uh, don't steal, don't cheat, don't take somebody else's life. He sort of takes them back to the Ten Commandments. And the guy gets really excited. He responds and he says, Teacher, from my youth, I've obeyed and kept every single one of them. This is a guy who has known something of what God is about and has worked so hard to uh, live out those things that God has put in his heart. He says, I've kept every single one of them. But this is the thing this morning and over these coming weeks, because some of the message that we get to hear is, is a challenging one. It's not always easy. The things Jesus calls us into and the life he calls us to live, it's simple, but man, it can be challenging because it goes to the very heart and core of who we are and everything that we have kind of raised our lives up to be and we encounter him and something has to shift. So these next few weeks, we are going to see something, I think, of the awesomeness of who our God is and it's going to be challenging and it's going to be beautiful and it's going to be soft and it's going to hit us at our core. Um, But I know you guys are up for that. And I know that you're ready to hear what the Father has to say. 
What I love most, what broke me this week in just reading this story was when he says, I've kept every single one of these from my youth. It says this line, Jesus looked him in the eye and loved him. He knew he was about to say something pretty tough to this guy. He was going to put a challenge across his bow because he was going to speak to his heart and call something out that he knew was going to be pretty difficult for this young man to respond to. But I just want to say that the space, and when we look at who, who Jesus is, what it means for him to be Lord, what it is that he's saying to us in that, that it comes from this place where he looks each one of us in the eye. And what it says there, in other words, it says he looked deeply at him with special interest, love or concern. He looked him right in the eye in that way and loved him. He loved what he saw even though he knew that there was something sitting in this young man's heart that potentially was going to be an obstacle to him making a decision to follow Jesus, it says Jesus loved him. And I think more than anything this morning, the Father just wants us to sit in that place. Whatever he has been speaking to us already, and I think some of us have already sat and sung and spent time this morning and possibly even over this week where you feel like you've been gazed at really deeply, that Jesus has looked into your heart. And what he wants you to know is that he loves what he sees. He deeply loves what he sees. That's his starting point. That's his finishing point. There's some challenges and journeys that we get to walk in between that, but that's where he starts and finishes everything. And we're going to do a little bit of, in a sense, a big picture because I think we've always got to put it into context, don't we? It's not um, this this story, really. We're going to be kind of looking at some things that go on where people encounter Jesus, but we're also going to be hiking all the way back into the Old Testament because it's one big story. It doesn't change. It didn't change with Jesus coming. He came to fulfill what had already been started, this amazing journey where from the very beginning God set something so extraordinary in motion in calling us into relationship with him. But it got a little bit broken along the way. But what he's doing is restoring all things. What he's doing is calling us back into that place of restoration. So as you listen and as we kind of talk about these things, just know that as he looks you in the eye, he loves you in that place. Whatever you feel challenged with, whatever might have come to light, whatever he's maybe raised in your heart, and I can tell you, prepping for this over the last few weeks, it it brought me to tears a lot of times and to my knees lots of times with uh, sorriness for things that, that the Father highlighted, but just in such a beautiful way of knowing that I'm loved by him, and that is what he always does, is comes to restore I think um, one of the, looking at this subject, you know, why, why Jesus is Lord, um, it, we've got to go back in some way to simplicity. I think the Father is calling us back to a place of simplicity. It's not a complex um, question to answer. And Roe often mentions, and, and I, it, it has, it's kind of, it sticks with me all the time now, she'll often say, you might have heard her say, it's for an audience of one. It's for an audience of one. And I think that's the thing, is coming back to that place as people who are getting to know Jesus, for people who we might have you know, known a lot about him along the way, it's always coming back to that simplicity 
of who he is, what we're called to be in him, and how then we go about reaching others so that they can come into that place of life as well. So the question is, and we're going to start with the story in Matthew 16, and Jesus asks uh, Peter at this point, so Peter was one of the guys that was following Jesus. Jesus had called him and said, come and follow me. So Peter gave up what he was doing. So I think it's, it's helpful to remember that this is not at the beginning of Peter's story. He's already been um, walking with Jesus. He's been learning from him. He's been watching him. He's got to see a little bit of who he is already. Um, and then this this kind of um, story comes further down the road. So he's already made a choice that um, he wants to follow Jesus. But in Matthew 16, at, uh, verse th- starting at verse 13, when Jesus arrived in the villages of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, what are people saying about who the Son of Man is? They replied, some think he's John the Baptizer, some say Elijah, some Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. He pressed them, and how about you? Who do you say I am? Simon Peter said, You are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus came back. God bless you, Simon, son of Jonah. You didn't get that answer out of books or from teachers. My Father in heaven, God himself let you in on the secret of who I really am. And now I'm going to tell you who you really are. You are Peter, a rock. This is the rock on which I, on which I will put together my church, a church so expansive with energy that not even the gates of hell will be able to keep it out. And that's not all. You will have complete and free access to God's kingdom, keys to open any and every door, no more barriers between heaven and earth, earth and heaven. And guys, over the next, I don't know how far we're going to get today. Steph asked me at the start, how long do you need? I said, you know what, I didn't actually, I just wrote, I didn't stop and time it. So (laughs) we might fit it all in today, or this could be the next, as Rose said, the next two years. Um, So we'll just get to, to, um, for those that know me, and I think I've said this before, I always build structures in my head. Everything comes from a, once I see it and understand it. So I'm going to give you a little bit of the structure of where we're going to go, and then we'll unpack it as as we can time-wise. But these are the three things that I want to pull out because I think for me, this is, there's a lot of things for us to learn in our journey as we get to know Jesus and what he calls us to. But these are the three fundamental things that he's doing. He asked Peter this question, who do you say I am? And at some point, that is a question that every single one of us has to, or gets to answer. We might come to different conclusions And how we want to live that out might look different. We are given free choice. He's given us that right to decide. But there's this place of encounter where he will ask us that question, who do you say I am? And like I said, remember, Peter was already journeying with him. He knew something. So this is not even just about giving our first yes to Jesus. Many of us have done that. But this is another question. This is a profound place Um, I believe, where Jesus stops him and asks something that is going to shift things from this point, really, you know, irrevocably for Peter. It doesn't mean beyond this point because we know he goes on to do some pretty major sort of um, mishaps. You know, he, he still goes on beyond this point to deny Jesus when confronted with um, his death. 
So it doesn't mean perfection from that point, but there was something in Peter's heart that was won in that decision. The second thing is, when we determine that, when we, in a sense, settle that question, we then see Jesus goes on to say, and now I'm going to tell you who you really are. Our identity, who we are, what God has placed in us, everything that we have in him, is a question that gets answered when the Jesus, who are you, question first gets answered, not the other way around. So often we're looking to settle that question of significance and purpose and who am I and what am I doing here and how can I be useful and I feel a bit insecure or I feel rejection and I I don't know who I am or what I'm doing and we try and answer that question first. But actually Jesus shows us that once we have answered this question, once we have seen who he is, then he starts to reveal in greater measure and depth who we are. And then the third thing is that we'll look at is, he says, um, this is the rock on which I will put together my church, a church so expansive with energy that not even the gates of hell will keep it out. And that's not all. You will have complete and free access to God's kingdom. When we know who Jesus is, when we know our identity and standing in him, we become that expansive church, that expansive gathering of people. And it's not in the building. It is just us as a gathering of people who go out and become that expansive um, energy to those around us and begin to do the same thing all over again. This is who Jesus is. Now this is who you are. Now you go be the expansive energy to those around you. I think for me, when I saw, I just thought, oh, that's really simple. I can kind of get that. I think I can live the rest of my days um, aligning myself to that, to that way of looking at things. I don't think he's called us into anything complex. Okay, so let's start with just unpacking a little bit. And um, as I say, we'll have to to sort of go back into the Old Testament because this is not just a little question that um, Jesus is asking Peter in that particular moment for him. As I said, this is a question that all of us will have to answer at some point in our journey and in our lifetime. So we start at verse 15. Peter, who do you say that I am? And in this context, the question that he's asking, when he says the bit, do you say, who do you say? What he's saying is, we are about to lay this argument to rest. This isn't just a a sort of a, a, a light question or something that came to him in the spur of the moment. This is the type of question that gets answered in a court of law. This is, we are going to finally, we're going to settle this matter. Who do you say? What's in your heart? How do you see me? How are you going to live your life? And then he says, who do you say I am? And in that context, Peter would have understood when he used those words, I am. Jesus was dragging, if you like, everything from from the time of Genesis right the way forward. Every story that had ever happened, all of his ancestors, Abraham, Jacob, Isaac, all the stories Peter would have known were wrapped up in that question, I am. Who do you say I am? 
What he was asking was, once and for all, Peter, am I the one who was, who is, and who always will be? Let's settle this. Let's look at your heart and let me ask you this question. Let's settle it. Am I that God that you've known about, that you've heard about your whole life, that has come down all of the generations? And I'm asking you today, are you, do you believe that I am that God who was is right now today and always will be. Jesus was asking him a really profound question because it was blasphemy, really. It would have been seen to, for God, to Jesus to be saying that he was God was such a massive thing to identify himself as that same one who always had been. So that was the question that Peter was confronted with. But what's really interesting, I think, is, is also and significant is where Jesus chose to ask them that question. So he, he specifically asked them in this place called Caesarea Philippi. And what was significant about that, um, it was an area, and to this day, people will go and visit it. It's an area that was scattered with the remains of ancient Baal worship. So things people were worshipping way back in the time, again, where his ancestors were alive, this was this specific area was somewhere where people would have come to worship Baal. Not only that, it was the place where Joshua took the land. So when he came up against the Philistines, the Canaanites, the Sidians, all of those, those wrestles that they had to come into a place of life and freedom, that had happened in that area as well. It was also known there was a cave there that was dedicated. It was meant to be the birthplace of the Greek god Pan, who was god over nature, field, forests, and so on. And on top of that, there was a temple built to the godhead of Caesar by Herod the Great. You know, what does it matter? Jesus asked him this question right in this location where every single empire that ever sort of had been known to rule and reign, everything that had been seen as Lord and had authority over things, Jesus chose that place to ask to the disciples, who do you say I am? He left absolutely um, nothing uncovered. He covered all of those things, every, in a sense, pull on the heart, everything that can raise itself up, that longs for our loyalty outside of the Father. He says to them, in this place, amongst all of these gods, who do you say I am? And they were gods of the time. He would have understood them. But it's no different for us today. There are so many things that kind of clamor for our affection and for our loyalty and our time and our commitment. But God will always take us to those places that have a claim on our heart and ask us in those places, who do you say I am? And they'll kind of probably look pretty different for us today. But he does that not to bring us into a place of shame or condemnation, never for that, but always to remove the obstacles that would just keep us uh, getting closer to him, keep us encountering him in new and deeper ways. I think um, 
When you go back to the, the story of the rich young ruler, you know, we often read that story and his particular challenge, his obstacle, if you like, because here was a guy, like I said, who was pretty passionate about following the ways of God. His heart was for God. But when Jesus challenged him and said, you know, give up um, everything that you own, go and sell it, give it to the poor. Now, Jesus encountered lots of wealthy people in his time. Martha, Mary and Lazarus, who were some of his good mates, he used to hang out with a lot. They were from a super wealthy family. He never gave that challenge to them. Um, when Zacchaeus, when he, Jesus encountered Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus started talking about how he was going to give back. When he encountered Jesus, it touched his heart. He wanted to give back the things he had stolen. Again, Jesus didn't ask him to give up everything that he had. This was a particular challenge to this guy because he knew when he had looked into his heart, he knew what a hold it had. He knew what that thing was that would keep him entering into the fullness of everything God had for him. And when you look at that word riches, we often kind of, I think, narrow it down to, you know, oh, wealth has a lot of hold over your, over your life. But the, the meaning of that word riches there is whatever one uses. It's much broader than just money. Um, a thing, a matter, an affair, an event, a business. It's any of the things that we use, in a sense, that would keep a hold over our hearts in a way that would keep us entering in more fully to that place with Jesus. Um, when Jesus asked Peter this question, as I say, he, Peter would have been drawing on everything he knew. And so when you go back at that point into the book of Deuteronomy, it's one of the first books of the Bible, um, Peter would have grown up, they used to memorize it, so he would have known it inside and out. He knew what it was all about. And the whole book of Deuteronomy is Moses, um, a mighty man who led the children of Israel out of slavery and into freedom, although he didn't quite get to leave them into freedom. Joshua got to do that. But Moses brought them right to the brink. And Deuteronomy really is just is a book full of all his last words. It's probably one of the biggest sermons that was ever written, uh, where he's just basically saying and reminding this, this whole bunch of people that have journeyed out of slavery. He's reminding them of everything that God has done, that they've been on this kind of mad um, journey together. And in all of it, God was working to transform hearts from a place where they worshipped other things into a place where they would know for themselves and trust put everything that they had under his lordship, under his way, and live in the way that God had called them to. Um, so it starts, in, and this is, it's, um, this is, it's a really significant, you know, I wish sometimes that we understood some of the culture a little more because I think there's so much significance when, when you look at the, the history of what God was at work doing and how he was communicating to them. So he introduces um, Moses at this point in the beginning of Deuteronomy. He introduces really what God has been about from the very beginning. You know, we spent some time recently on a holiday um, with some friends who... Um, don't know Jesus and quite angry towards things of, of Jesus. And, you know, part of their, their, their anger was, was 
their understanding of who God was in the Old Testament, the way that he treated people, the things that he did. And it just deeply saddened my heart because it was like, this is not who he is. You know, this is not who God is. Jesus is a full representation of everything that the Father is. And and we see this at the beginning of Deuteronomy where God, through Moses, lays down and calls them into this place of life. And in verse 3 of Deuteronomy 6, he says, Do the things, this is Moses reminding the people, Do these things I'm telling you so that you'll have a good life, a life of abundance and bounty, just as God promised, in a land abounding in milk and honey. Or in other words, a life of abundance and bounty, a life, he makes it sound. He makes it beautiful. That's what it's saying. He's saying, I want to call you to live in such a way that that this is what your life will look like. It's full of abundance and bounty and beauty and it's sound, it's solid. If you felt like it's shifted and, and moved and there's been no certainty and no promise anywhere in it, he's saying, that's not who I am. This is what I call you into. And what I love about this is that he he's linking this back to the Ten Commandments and they've so often been used as just seeing as a, a list of, of rules and regulations, a way that we have to live, um, a do's and don'ts. Um, but, but that's not what, what God is saying. He's saying, I want you to live this bountiful, abundant life. It's everything I've done for you. It's everything I'm calling you into. So he goes on to say, attention Israel, God, our God, God, the one and only, he is Lord. So when Jesus asks Peter this question, who do you say that I am? This was what Peter would have been referring back to. He is getting to a place in his heart where he is recognizing that Jesus is God and it's the same God that said, I am the one and only. And what God is saying to the children of Israel back at this point is, it's along the, because they basically, they're living in an environment where there are lots of gods. They believe in many gods. They've got to appease and satisfy everything going on around them to be safe and secure, to settle their hearts. And, and God is saying to them right back at the beginning of his journey with us as people is, that's not what you have to do. What I've done for you is so that you can live in a place of freedom, so that you can live under me as the one God who takes care of all things. You don't have to appease this thing and that thing and that one over there. You don't have to feel unsafe or insecure or make people happy or do these things. All of life, the whole of life, everything, and it's not just about the point where we come to church on a Sunday or we might go to a small group midweek. It's everything. It's our work. It's how we interact with our children, our families. It's how we spend our money. It's our, our hearts. It's the place on the inside that nobody else ever gets to see. But he does. He looks at that like the rich young ruler and he knows what it is that is that's just presenting obstacle for us that would keep us from the fullness and living in everything he's got. And he says, that's what I want to go to. That's the thing that I want to go to because I want you to enter into this abundant life. I want you to live this way in the land. Psalm 105 verse 8. Uh, it's one of my favorite. And it says this, 
He remembers his covenant forever, the promise he made for a thousand generations. You know, he, that's the place that God comes from. He is so profoundly and deeply committed to us. He is so profoundly and deeply committed to us being able to live in this place of life and abundance that he made the decision, they made the decision together that Jesus would come so that we can have life in all its fullness. They committed themselves to that in a way that I don't think we will ever fully understand the depth of that and the commitment of that and everything he worked to do when you read anything through the Old Testament books of the Bible that might seem at times hard and harsh, but at every point he's bringing them back. He's saying, guys, I want you to come and live in this place of abundance. I want you to know who you are and then I just want you to go and share that life with others and welcome them into it and just keep doing that. That's it. It's as simple as that. And sometimes we get so caught up with the secondary nature of church (laughs) and the things that go on around that and even the ways that we ought to live and the ways we should live. And what he's calling us back to is the simplicity but a hard place at times of taking our hearts And being willing to say, Jesus, you are Lord over everything. The rich young guy couldn't do it. You know, Jesus was saying to him, come follow me. He was calling him to be one of his disciples. And he couldn't do it. He couldn't let go of that thing. It's not an easy decision. It's not an easy journey always. But it is a simple one that he calls us to live out. So God has called them to this place. He's saying to them, this is who I am. I'm the one God. I want to bring everything under my lordship and I want to teach you how to live from this place of abundance. And then in verse 5 he says, love God, your God, with your whole heart. Love him with all that's in you. Love him with all you've got. It's a really simple thing, guys, but it takes the most mammoth thing in the sense it takes our hearts. And I think often... um, Yeah, that's where the wrestle is, isn't it, sometimes? But it's really, really key. Um, Romans 14, 17 talks about that the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Or otherwise, it's it's a kingdom of being approved, living in wholeness and living from a place of joy. That's what he says. When he invites us to journey with him, when he invites us into relationship, he's saying that that's what it is. That's what the kingdom of it is. It's within. It's not the things that... the thing. There are outworkings of that that we see around us where he heals and he brings freedom. But it starts, the kingdom of God starts in the heart. And so if our heart is not relinquished, to him, if our heart is not in a place where he is Lord over all of that, then that's where the kingdom of God kind of hits a little bit of a sticking point. That's where we can end up stopping. That's end where we can get stuck in our journey with him and coming into greater freedom and more wholeness. And what he's after in that sense is our heart. He says, just love God. Love him with everything that you've got. Love him with your everything that you are. And when we embrace him, um, and when we embrace that over all, then that's when we see things begin to, to really change in the way that we live out. And I haven't got time to go on now, so you'll have to come back 
for part two, the continuation of looking more at the heart and the things that that were just, you know, my own journey has been, and there have been many of these, but one of them, um, I've wrestled probably my whole life with a real sense of just being passed by and overlooked. That's been the place where the enemy has been able to get in. Um, and, you know, when I'm when he calls me into things, that's that's the lie. That's the place where the enemy will just come at me and 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 speak into who I am and tell me that you know the Father has overlooked me or I've been passed by. And, and a few years ago, you know, somebody was praying for me and they gave me a verse from the Bible, which is in a book called Song of Songs, verse four, um, cha- uh, sorry, chapter four, verse nine. And this is what it says: "You have captured my heart." with one glance of your eye. And that was the thing that God, through this person, was communicating to me in all my place of feeling overlooked and insignificant, that that's how he felt. And that's an ongoing process. It's not one that I am free of entirely yet, but that's the truth. And it's in that place of the heart that as we begin to encounter him, as we let his kingdom Um, enter in, that's when the change starts to happen, when we see his truth, when we allow him to be Lord, when he declares, when we embrace what he says over us, then we begin to see the shift. When we hear what he declares, then our hearts begin to get set free and we see kingdom, life coming, and that's the place where we begin to receive that sense of identity. I'm going to have to stop there, guys. Um, as I say, there, there's yeah, so much more in this, but I, I think if we could just maybe pray, and we're going to keep coming back, um, Revelation 3, verse 19 and 20, Jesus says this, the people I love, I call to account, prod and correct and guide so that they'll live up, sorry, they'll, they'll live at their best. Up on your feet then, about face, run after God, look at me, I stand at the door and I knock. And we're just going to keep coming back to that because that's what this is about, making Jesus Lord, allowing him to be Lord of our lives, is, is standing in that place where he's looking us in the eye, he loves us and he's calling us into places of greater depth, greater commitment, greater release, so that we can see his kingdom come in our lives and then in the lives of people around us, so that we can, as we've said, see a city, see a nation, see a world that can be utterly transformed by the simplicity of the truth and experience that Jesus is Lord, he's done a good thing, he's called us into life, He's given us that way as to how we can live. He's made it possible in what Jesus has done and he's just inviting us as he looks us in the eye to begin to relinquish those obstacles and those other things that would vie for our loyalty and attention and to say, Lord Jesus, I want you to come and change that. I want you to come and bring your truth. So Father, we just pray for each one of us, Lord, um, as we... Yeah, we just actually, yeah, we'll just take just a minute just to sit quietly. And Father, we just ask if there are specific things.
We just want to have hearts that are open to hear from you. Thank you, Jesus, that um, as Ruth uh, shared this morning, that you have just created that space of welcome for us, that your ribbons are out, that you stand in front of us and you look us in the eye with compassion and love and concern and kindness and you love us. And we know, Father, there are things that uh, you want us to bring more deeply under your lordship so that we can love you the way you've called us to, so that we can know who we are in you and everything you've created us to be. And we can go then and just be an expansive group of people who just uh, welcome others into your generosity and share that life. So, Father, would you walk uh, with us in this over these coming weeks? Would you bring change? Would you give us the courage? Would you give each heart courage? Uh, When you highlight those things, the courage to allow you to um, be Lord over them, knowing that we might be giving something up, but we're gaining back so much more. Yeah, so help us to be brave in you, Father. We just give this way. We pray blessing and life over each person here just to see more of you in Jesus' name.